Hey listeners, it's Courtney Ortiz, and before we jump into our episode, I have an exciting announcement. Making the Impact a Dance Competition podcast will be hosting a live podcast event in the heart of New York City at the Capizio flagship store in Times Square. Mark your calendars for Saturday, March 30th, 2024, and join us live in person for a jam-packed day of dance fun, freebies, and more. Our live podcast recording is completely free to attend, and all attendees will receive a swag bag sponsored by Capizio, making the Impact exclusive merchandise, and coupons from our sponsors. Meet your hosts, Courtney and Leslie, at the live event, and ask questions from the audience during our Q&A recording, all about the dance industry and the competitive dance world. Dancers, teachers, studio owners, professionals, parents, and all dance lovers are welcome to attend. And for all the dancers out there, we can't host a dance event without a dance class. I will be kicking off the event by teaching a one-hour jazz class for ages 9 and up, overlooking Times Square in a beautiful New York City dance studio. Pre-registration for class is now open, and a suggested donation of $10 per dancer will go directly towards supporting our podcast. After class, make your way over to the Capizio flagship store for light lunch and snacks before the live podcast begins. After the live recording, it's time to mix, mingle, and shop. Take photos with Courtney and Leslie, network with the NYC dance community, and stock up on your dance season favorites with Capizio. We can't wait to bring our live podcast to New York City and would like to thank Capizio for sponsoring this event. RSVP now and register for class at the link in our show notes. And don't forget to spread the word and share with other dance friends and fans who would like to attend this free event. We hope to see you there. Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the table at a dance competition? Exactly what are the judges looking for anyway? This is Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. Each week, we'll cover a different topic related to the world of competitive dance from the perspective of the judges behind the table. Today on Making the Impact, it's all about the boys. Boys in dance, that is. In this episode, we're joined by two male professional dancers who recount their experiences as boys in dance class and share how those experiences influence their career choices and teaching styles. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year from Making the Impact. I am your host, Courtney Ortiz, and I'm here with my co-host, like always, Leslie Mueller. Happy New Year, Courtney. Happy New Year, listeners. Yes, it's 2024. Oh my gosh, can you believe it? We live in the future. Like, that just sounds <laughs> insane. <laughs> it does. It's wild. It's. I can't believe it's here already. I feel like the holiday season flew by, and now we are into soon-to-be competition season. I'm about to hit the ground running every single weekend. Starting this weekend, I will be out at an event, convention or competition event, and I cannot wait. Wow. I am glad you're going to be back out and about. I am also going to be back out and about this season after a few seasons off from judging. Yes. Because (gasps) news update. So there has been some change in the world of Leslie Mueller, and I am headed back to Capizio as of this week, (gasps) full-time back as their product testing coordinator. Wow. Congrats. Thank you. Uh, The world of NYCDA assistant general managing was wonderful. I learned so much um, and had such a nice time working with those people uh, from that awesome organization. Got to see a few of our listeners this summer at Nationals. But ultimately, Capizio called me back up. The timing was right. The fit was right. And the fit, I will be continuing to do fittings if any of you Mm -hmm. have ever done 
uh, fittings for me at Capizio. So yeah, I'll be back doing that, which will also free up my weekends, um, which haven't been free for judging in, gosh, since before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Because I was directing before that. And yeah, so I'm super stoked to be able to have uh, some judging weekends under my belt again this year and excited to get back into the world of product testing. So that is what's up with me in the new year, Courtney. Anything else yeah. up with you besides getting back out there every weekend? Well, first of all, congrats on this new venture. What a way to kick off a brand new year for you. And I feel like it's going to be a great one. So I'm so proud of you. Congrats on that. Thank you. For me, yeah. I mean, I always I always try to make some New Year's resolutions happen uh, personally in my life. And I think last year I said I was going to start taking salsa dance lessons and I'm mm. here to let everyone know that that never happened. So <laughs> I was like, I'm going to New Year's resolution. I'm going to learn a new skill. I'm going to start taking Latin ballroom yeah. and salsa lessons. And, it, you know, it's just my life is so busy that I didn't it's have so enough busy. time to pencil that into my week. Like, yeah. it's it's really, really tough. But I do want to... um you know, follow up with some resolutions. I, I want to be better at doing this sounds so random, but like doing some of my physical therapy um, mm, exercises yeah. that like, I'm not in physical therapy right now. But I just have like a whole list of exercises and different yeah. fitness things that I need to be doing just to like take care of my body more. And I always just push it to the side and say, Oh, I'll get to yep. it eventually and never do. So I want to yep. start off the new year strong and do that, even if that means rolling out a yoga mat in my living room and doing it for, you know, 20 minutes in the morning. I want to start yep. doing that. And my next New Year's resolution is I want to start waking up a little earlier each day, oh, uh, not like 6am. <laughs> but like, when I'm not teaching, and I'm working from home, and we're doing podcasts, and I'm doing IDA life. Yeah. Sometimes you just, when you work from home, you can just kind of sleep in and wake up whenever you feel like it. You're on your own schedule, yeah. you know? Yeah. So and both of I want to be podcasts like straight up in our pajamas sometimes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. I want to I wake up. I want to start, start my day a little bit sooner. And then as far as new news, I'm really, really excited to head out to, with the Streets Dance Convention as their new jazz faculty for this upcoming season, this upcoming weekend. In January will be my very first event with Streets. I was actually supposed to do one in December, but I had to unfortunately cancel due to a death in the family. So sad. So I was sad I didn't get to meet all of my new faculty and uh, new staff and pe everyone I'm going to be working with this season. But I am so excited for this new venture and can't wait to see some dancers out there. So if you're attending a Streets event, I will see you. I will be at every single event and I will be judging on every single judging panel as the teacher judge. And I cannot wait. Amazing. Well, the new year is here and we have a great episode for you today, Courtney. Don't we? We do. We <laughs> I'm telling do. you like you don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know we do. And I can't wait for us to jump into it. So let's jump into our episode. But before we do, let's hear from our fabulous season five sponsors. Our season five premier sponsor, Francisco Gela Dance Works, will be hosting a unique seven day intensive this summer in Miami, Florida. Ballet Plus is an in-depth intensive leading students towards developing a strong technical foundation in ballet, modern, and jazz with a highly refined and authentic artistic voice. Intermediate and advanced dancers ages 10 through 22 are able to attend this exciting week-long event with over 60 hours of dancing from an exceptional faculty, including Francisco Gela, Yusha Marie Sorzano, and even Making the Impact's own Courtney Ortiz. Dancers will take a variety of different classes like ballet, point, musical theater, modern dance with live percussion, Horton, Contemporary, Conditioning, Pilates, Repertoire, and so much more. Parents will even have a chance to sit in and watch certain classes throughout the week, and all dancers are eligible for scholarships to future Francisco Gela Dance Works events. 
Mark your calendars to attend Ballet Plus from June 9th through 15th, 2024, and register now to receive $75 off tuition with our exclusive podcast promo code. Use the code MAKINGTHEIMPACT in all caps when registering for the Ballet Plus Intensive at franciscogaladance.com. All right, dance world, it is time to jump into this week's episode, our first episode of 2024, and we're talking all about boys in dance. Guess what, everybody? Boys dance too. And we have had a boys episode way back when in season one. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, go give a listen. It was great. But we wanted to bring back another male dancer episode for our beautiful dance world because there's so much more to share. There's so much more to talk about. And there's so many more opinions to be heard about what it's like being a male dancer in this dance industry. We have two brand new guests joining us on Making the Impact for this episode. I'm so thrilled to have them both here with us. The first guest is someone I've known for a very long time. I've had the pleasure of auditioning alongside them, dancing alongside them, judging alongside them. They've been on the IDA roster for many, many years, and they are so extremely talented. I've watched them in Broadway shows, and they have done a ton of them. They're currently actually in a brand new pre-Broadway tryout in Chicago of Boop, the Betty Boop musical, which is so cool, and I hope it's going fantastic out there in Chicago. I'm excited to welcome to the podcast IDA judge, Colin Bradbury. Welcome, Colin. Hello. So happy to have you here on the podcast, finally. It's so good to be here, finally, all these years. I know, and thank you so much for all of your support in IDA through the years. You have been a part of this from almost the very beginning, if not one of the first few seasons of IDA, and it's been such a pleasure having you and your amazing talent and judging expertise, especially with all of the experience that you have in the professional dance world, which I'm sure you're going to tell everyone all about momentarily. <laughs> well, thank you too for including me in your journey. And, and it's been so great to meld my experience in the competitive dance world and my professional world all these years with you. Yes. Awesome. Well, Colin, I know I just hinted at what you're currently working on. But if you wouldn't mind telling the world more about you, where you grew up, what your early dance training was like, what your professional career has been like, and what's next for Colin? So I grew up in New England. My mom is a ballet teacher. So that's how I really fell into dance was through my mom teaching and my sister, who's two years older than me, taking dance as well. So dance was sort of something I was always destined to do. I grew up at a competitive studio in New Hampshire. Uh, and then I moved to New York City right out of high school and started pursuing a professional career, which has led me all over the world. I've lived in New York for 21 and a half years now, which yes. is wild. I've performed on uh, the national tours of 42nd Street, White Christmas, A Chorus Line, The Book of Mormon, Hello, Dolly. I performed on Broadway most recently with Funny Girl. Uh, previously Carousel, Charlie the Chocolate Factory, and my Broadway debut was Twyla Tharp's Come Fly Away. Yes. I remember uh, that when I saw some... it. Yeah, I know you did. I've done uh, uh, lots of regional theater, and I performed at Tokyo Disney Sea. So I've done the theme park world. I've done the Christmas show at Radio City Music Hall. And so I feel like I've, I've dipped my toes into a lot of different areas of the, the dance world on the theatrical side of things predominantly. Yeah. And I'm currently, as you said, doing Boop, the Betty Boop musical in Chicago, which is a brand new musical being directed and choreographed by Jerry Mitchell. And 
it's going great in Chicago. We're still making a lot of changes to the show and it's still evolving and we'll be here through Christmas and we'll see what's next. Awesome. That's so fun. I love seeing all the publicity and promo videos of Boop the Musical. So I really hope it transfers to New York because I am dying to see it. And I want to see you in that show, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun because uh, the response here has been really overwhelmingly positive from the crowds. And in this show, I have uh, an ensemble track. So I'm in the show every day uh, and I understudy two parts. And I spent a lot of my Mm. career as a swing in shows and as a dance captain in shows. So it's nice for me to be back on stage every night in the show. All of our listeners out there, now you know what a swing is because we just had our swing episode not too long ago on making the impact. So Colin, actually, Colin, you were like next on my list to call for that episode if my friend Brittany Nicholas is who ended up doing the episode and she's like ultimate swing girl in Anne Juliet right now. And I was like, if Brittany can't swing it, <laughs> I'm calling Colin because you have just I been have such so an exceptional swing. <laughs> yes. <I> 2.0 next <laughs> season. He's he's back. <laughs> yeah, we did say we were thinking about doing a dance captain episode. And Brittany kind of suggested that in the episode. So maybe we can pull you in for that one. Because I'm sure you have things to share. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome, Colin. Well, we're thrilled to have you here and share all of your experience as a competitive dancer growing up and as a Broadway professional. So thanks for making time for us over here. Thank you. All right, our next special guest is a brand new guest joining us. I met him very long time ago in the New York City dance scene, and I've been following his journey for so many years. And what's exciting about his journey is that he's also dabbled a little bit in the Broadway world, but also the concert dance world, and is now an exceptional educator for dancers. I'm excited to welcome Sean Aaron Carmen to the podcast. Welcome, Sean. Oh, why, thank you (laughs) for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to have you. And like I said, I've admired what you have created for your career. And it is so exciting to see you going in and out of different avenues and like work starting as a concert dancer in company dance world to then breaking into that Broadway scene. And now you're I am blown away by what you post on Instagram all the time with all of the modern dance that you are teaching these children out in Texas. I am so here for it. Listen, somebody's got to get these babies That's together. True. Okay? It's, <laughs> and it's uh, you. <laughs> I, it's a calling. What can I say? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And I, I think that it is important for listeners to hear, especially with your journey, as to I'm not, I mean, you're going to tell us, but like maybe you weren't thinking of going to Broadway ever. Maybe it just kind of happened. Maybe that was something that you were, you know, looking at, but, oh, I'm going to do the concert scene for a while. Like, I think it's important for listeners to hear that your career can take you in so many different directions throughout the years. And now, you know, you know, being an educator now, also still performer. So I'm sure we're going to dive into all of that. But same kind of deal, Sean, if you wouldn't mind telling the world a little bit more about you. What I find to be uh, just so, I guess, jumping right into an anecdote, I, I don't, you know, I'll just get right into it. I find it to be hilarious because I actually started with Broadway and very few people know that. Oh, I didn't know that because I met you when you were at Fordham. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that senior year, I was performing with Elise Monte Dance uh, during my senior year, the, the first semester. And the second semester, there was an emergency audition for La Caja Fol. And I don't know how they got my number. I don't know how they got my, my information, but I got a, a call from... Benton Whitley, who is now Whitley, well, used to be Whitley Stewart Casting. Now he has his own casting agency. But I got, I received a phone call from him asking me if I could come in for an emergency audition 
uh, Urela Cesareta had uh, busted his knee in a jump split. Go figure, or the can-can. And um, they needed someone because the show opened the following week. Oh, and wow. they needed someone immediately. <laughs> wow. So we were going into previews. I was in rehearsal. I did the audition that night. And I did the. Uh, I was in the show the next day. Shut up. Truly, the next day you're learning the show. They all, they all knew. I'm still in school. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, but luckily, luckily, I planned ahead. Our BFA director at the time, Anna Marie Forsyth and uh, Denise Jefferson, they had kind of coached us into making sure that our senior year, we had taken care of all of our requirements so that if a job mm-hmm. opportunity opened up, mm-hmm. they allowed us to go and, you know, be those professional oh, dancers. That's awesome. And for us, it was wow. just exciting because if you did come back and take class, you didn't have to wear a dress code. So that's all I really cared about. I said, well, yeah, I'm finally a professional. I'm a professional I now. Red. <laughs> right. Uh, um, you know, not, not the fact that I'm dancing next to Kelsey Grammer and Nicholas Cunningham and Vianne Cox and all of these wow. like Broadway legends and television stars and, and all of these things. No, it's just that I didn't have to wear a dress code when I came back to Ailey. <laughs> so that was the, that was the that cool, matter. you know, that was the cool thing at the age of 20. But yeah, I actually started with, with Lagage of Foal and then I, I went over to Phantom of the Opera. I did that show for exactly two months because at, at four weeks, um, I auditioned for the Ailey Company and I, I got that job. So I gave them my four week notice. Wow. And, um, nice. and then I, and that's how I got into the Ailey Company. Sorry, oh. excuse me. That's when I started the concert dance. So I actually did two years on Broadway before I did eight and a half, eight seasons with Ailey. Wow. And then went back to the Lion King and all of that. So yeah, just a little fun fact. Love that. About how that started. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what are you working on now? Currently, I am the Vitaka Ballet Studio Company Director here in Houston, Texas. Vitaka Ballet and School for Dance, they are a, you know, it feels kind of weird to say it because I'm talking about myself, but we are a preeminent training ground for pre-professional ballerinas and are, honestly, I'm trying to branch out past the ballerinas, mm. but it's still Vitaka Ballet. But we are preparing pre-professional dancers to, you know, take that next step into the professional world, into traineeships, apprenticeships, and some, some actual right into company members. So um, nice. that is currently what I'm doing. I also choreograph for the professional company, the Taka Ballet, and I still travel the country setting works at professional dance companies as well. So that's what that's what I'm doing now, and of course, taking care of my babies that are somewhere around here. You'll see them in the background. <laughs> and I know that yeah. you also have previously taught on dance convention circuit as well. So you are immersed in yes. the competitive dance scene as well in in your career. Oh yes, oh yes, yes. I spent three seasons uh, as a judge for a convention. I've gone as guests for other conventions. I love adjudicating and teaching for conventions, even. You know, just those those little one hour sessions, I feel like they are so inspirational and motivational and just very eye opening for someone who may be experiencing some a new technique for the first time. Being a modern dance expert, it really helps that uh, a lot of conventions are now branching out and allowing the modern dance to be taught at conventions where usually it's more of a very specific studio work. Um, but now we're getting that opportunity to share with more people on a wider and larger platform. Um, and that's very exciting for me because it is a huge passion of mine. And it's great to see that spark, you know, coming alive in a, in a student's eyes. It, contemporary dance, lyrical dance isn't all there is, not just jazz, modern, what is that? <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's really exciting for me. Oh, yeah. 
I, I love it. I'm so glad that competitions and conventions are kind of opening their eyes a little bit to that. Actually, it's funny regarding the modern talk. My my best friend, Alexa, who owns a studio and was on our modern dance episode last year. This is the first year that she's not doing modern at competition. And I asked her why. And she said, because there's a lot of comps that still don't have a modern category at competition. And she's just like, I just got sick of it because I, you know, it's actual true yeah. modern dance and I can't even enter into a proper category. And and, and so I'm like, I'm hoping that things are going to start shifting because if you have it at convention, why isn't it a category of competition? That's a whole nother discussion. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, let's jump into this chat with our fabulous boys, our male dancers who are here with us today. Yes. So gentlemen, thank you again for joining us. We are excited to have you here. And we heard a little bit about both of your backgrounds, but I want to dive a tiny bit deeper. Um, just with both of you, Colin, you said your mom is a ballet teacher. Yes. So you are just you just dove right on in like day one, three years old, pre ballet class, or did it take a little longer? It took a little longer. It was one of those things where I didn't start taking dance class until I was seven, and I first mm. started taking tap. And oh. but my sister had been dancing for years prior. She started when she was about four. And, or five, maybe. And so I was always at the studio with my mom. I was always watching classes. And then I would go home and I would just twirl around the living room and I would put on shows on the back deck and I would put on my sister's yes. recital costumes and just like skirts and things. <laughs> and I was always dancing around the house and tour jeteing before I knew what a tour jete was. <laughs> so it was, it was always inevitable that I was going to take <laughs> class. And it was not something that my mom ever forced me into. She was sort of wanted... You know, we, we've talked about this later in, later in life, and she always just wanted me to, to do it if I wanted to do it. And it wasn't until I was about seven, and I said, I want to take tap, because I thought tap was really cool. Mm. And even though I was doing ballet every day in the house, I didn't think that was cool. <laughs> to, to take class. <laughs> uh, so I took tap, and it was something like that tap came very naturally to me. And in my first year of tap, I sort of progressed through the beginner to the intermediate. And I was dancing with the 15 year olds when I was seven years old, like within the oh first two God. months of tapping. It just came very wow. naturally to me. And oh my, my mom said, I'm going to make you take one ballet class. And if you hate it, you never have to do it again, but I think you're going to like it. Mm. And so I took it and I liked it. And then that led mm. to me taking ballet and jazz and lyrical and modern and all of those other styles, which then I carried through all my uh, formative years. So that, that's kind of how I got into it. But it was... Uh, it wasn't from that really, really young age. Like I was never in those yeah. little tiny talk classes. Got it. Well, clearly you didn't need to be. Yeah. So <laughs> I think you were fine. <laughs> yeah. Mom knew best. I used to joke. Mom I used knew. to joke that I was self-taught. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Love it. All right. Cool. So, Sean, what about your early years of dance? Was that something you decided to do on your own? Your mom, your dad, somebody you know put you there because you were active. What's the deal? I mean, you might as well call me the, uh, what is his name? I, I know his real name, Charles, but I cannot remember the character's name, but I'm, I'm the guy from A Chorus Line. I mean, honestly, it was very much, my, my, my aunt used to pick up myself and my cousin, who's two years younger than me from school, and she was a dancer, and now she's this beautiful professional model in California. Mm. Ooh. But she, you know, she loved dancing and I had to sit around and wait for her to get picked up from school. And we, she wasn't going to make two stops. So oh, okay. the dance studio became my second home is where I ended up doing my homework. 
And inevitably, that observation window, it was like, oh, what are they doing there? Yeah. Uh, I can do that out here. I don't need to <laughs> be in there. And then you know, Miss Bonnie Kokono was my very first dance teacher and the, the studio owner. She opened the door and she said, you know, I see you out here every day doing this. Why don't you come in here? Aww. No, no, no. That's for girls. I'm, no, what are you talking about? And she said, okay, well, I'm just going to leave the door open in case you want to yes. ever, <laughs> if you ever just want to take a step in and little by little, I would, you know, uh, trepidatiously take one step in, two <laughs> steps in, but never onto the, the dance floor. Mm. Um, and I would always do it on the sides. And eventually she said, she kind of put a foot down and she said, well, Mr. Carmen, if you're not going to step onto the floor, then you're going to have to step back outside because, you know, she had let me do it for a couple of weeks mm. and I had gotten so used to it at that point. So I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll do it. So I stepped onto the floor and I think as they say, the rest is history. Yeah. I, I just kept coming back and wow. um, that was, they couldn't get me in a ballet class until I was uh, a little embarrassed to say this, but until I was about 17. <gasps> no. What were you? What? Yeah. What, were, what other I, styles were you doing before, like all through the other years? I, I started with acrobatics. Okay. I started with acrobatics because I had taken gymnastics as a child, so I was the flexibility and the you know just the power that came a little naturally. And then I very much like Colin. I started with tap because those rhythms were so just almost intoxicating. Mm. I just loved the idea of making noise <laughs> and making noise in a like. In a, in a way that made sense, you yeah. know, not just cacophony, but actual noise. And then uh, I started with jazz and lyrical and uh, my very first competitive trio actually was Steam Heat from the Pajama Game. Yes. So I went into musical theater the next season after that uh, with my teacher, Tiffany. Wow. So it was, you know, little by little and ballet finally. <laughs> How'd you get away with it? Because I realized I needed top. it for a college. I, unfortunately... And also, fortunately for me at the time, but unfortunately, um, it was that age-old story of I was the only boy, so I kind of got to do what I wanted. Mm, yep. You know, like, oh, I really don't want to do that. And I'm not threatening you and saying I'm going to stop if I don't get my way, but <laughs> right. kind of, little you know, <laughs> and a little, little. I would never say those words, of course, but it was it was kind of understood, mm. like, we have to we want the boy we we see that he loves this and mm. we we want to nurture this but we don't want to scare him away right. basically interesting so i i, I kind of got lucky but in a way i mean i look back on that and i wish somebody would have kind of just said listen pal either do it or don't <laughs> right but, this is a requirement yeah because i this is a requirement yeah i wish i wish i would have been would have been um given less of an option because i do feel like i miss a lot of formative training in those years. Uh, and I had a lot to make up when I made it to college. So, you know, that's, that's the general how and why I got started with, with dance. And uh, eventually my love for ballet came a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> Better late than never. Wow. I, I, it's, Truly. I feel Truly. like that every studio, you know, if, if a boy walks into the studio, every studio owner is like, oh my gosh, yes, we've, we've won the lottery. Yeah. We have a, yes. we have a male dancer finally. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they, what do we do to keep him? Yes, they will do whatever <laughs> it takes to make sure that this, especially yeah. if they see the talent, you know, like there's probably many boys that might get put into dance because their older sister or little sister does it or whatever, and they might not really have the heart in it. Mm -hmm. Or there's the, the boy dancers that like want this more than anything, and they were born to do this, and parents support it, and the teachers see the potential, and they're like, okay, how do we keep them in the door? 
you don't want to you don't want to do ballet okay we don't you don't have to do ballet just stay in your jazz class okay we like go you know we'll, yep. we'll teach you how to partner we'll do this we'll do that i could definitely see that happening at a lot of places um a lot of studios but yeah i don't know i think things might be changing i think and especially in texas Oh yeah. yeah. It was yeah. It was a very different environment. Even just like you know, now we're in our 30s, closer to 40 than 30. It is it was a very different environment even just two decades ago mm. when when I was coming up and it really did it, it was we're going to keep this young man in dance by hook or by crook because mm-hmm. we don't have very many interested candidates walking in the door mm. and we we will do whatever it takes as you said and um that's that's really what it was. And if we scare him in any way, or mm. you know, he's already he may be subject to bullying, he may be subject to being made fun of um, for doing this. So if we can keep this environment a true safe space and mm. and just make him feel the most comfortable in any way possible, we will do that. And that's exactly what they did. Mm. And I'm I'm thankful for it. At the same time, I'm you know, a little yeah. you know peeved by it as now as an educator myself. But, right, right. You know, it is what it is, and they yeah. did what they they did what they thought was best to to keep me and to get other young men interested. Mm, yeah, as well. Well, and and they kept you. I mean, you're living proof that like oh, yeah. sometimes that method works. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you know the by hook or by crook method. It is. It's one of them. <laughs> it gets the job done. You know. Yeah. I'm Colin. Did you have any of those experiences at your studio? Well, I first started dancing. My dad was in the army, so I moved a lot when I was younger. And I first started dancing when I was living in Colorado Springs. Um, mm-hmm. And then we moved to New England. And that's where my training really sort of uh, expanded in mm-hmm. New England when I moved to that studio. And that's where I started competing. But in Colorado Springs, being a boy and dancing was really cool. There were so many boys oh. at my studio in okay. Colorado. And and they mostly took tap and jazz, and we took ballet classes. And there were sort of requirements just to take all the styles, but it was mm-hmm. not pressurized. And we all wanted to do it, so we all just did it, and we all had a great time. Wow. And uh, and they all loved to, to two step, so it was like a lot of country line dancing as well. But uh, oh. like our dance recital had a huge okay. country line <laughs> dance in the in the dance what? recital every year. There's no. a major country line dance. <laughs> Oh, yes. I had my own cowboy boots and bell buckles and hats. It was wild. (laughs) But then I moved to New England and uh, the studio there had very strict. If you wanted to be on competition team, you had to take three ballet ballet classes a week and your jazz technique class and a tap class. You had to take all of those things. Mm -hmm. And similarly, it was these are our requirements. And I am such a rule follower. So I said, okay, and I liked it all. So I I liked taking all the styles. So I did it and I had no problems with it. But I do feel like if I had similarly to Sean said, oh, I don't want to do that. They probably would have said, it's okay. You, we'll, we'll keep you, you know, if yeah. I, if I had had that, um, <laughs> if, I, if I had had that approach, but, but I, I enjoyed all of that. And I think there was an element of with my mom being my primary ballet teacher, mm. a little bit, just that, that pressure of, you know, please my mom. And, you know, right. and also my mom sure. is the, my mm. mom was like the cool ballet teacher. <laughs> she was, her class was really fun. Um, it, it, it didn't take itself too seriously, but yet she had really high expectations mm. for all of us. So for me, my, my, the culture of my studio environment was really positive and welcoming and, uh, and creative. So it, 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 there was no real pressure to, to not want to be there. I wanted to be there always. Um, What do you think it was about that Colorado Springs studio that fostered the interest in dance and the boys are cool for dancing atmosphere? Like, do you remember anything about like what, what 
made that happen because that's not the case everywhere. It's definitely not I'm the sure case everywhere. I'm sure it had everywhere. something to do was... with the people, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't put my finger on exactly what it was because when I moved to New England, I was the only male dancer in the studio for a while. And then oh. another boy transferred from a different studio. So there were two of us for a while. And then one of the girls, younger brother, danced for a while growing up. So there was a few of us in the mix. But in Colorado, I couldn't even tell you what it was. I think there was more of an emphasis on social dance culturally in Colorado mm -hmm. than there is okay. a lot of other places. So yeah. it was more normal for just guys yeah. to be dancing in a different way. And the woman who owned the studio in Colorado, her son danced. And okay. he was kind of a jock. He was kind of a jock at school. Mm. So there was, I think, an element of, oh, that's cool. He's cool. We like him. And that sort of brought in another group of similar type of male dancers in, in that era. And this was also in the early 90s. So this is a while yeah. ago. Um, so I couldn't tell you if the same culture exists now in that area or if this was just a little bit of a, a time capsule moment. But because uh, mm. it definitely does not exist everywhere. And right. in, in the... In the years in, in between performing, I will go teach and choreograph at various studios and, and judge and judge on that circuit. And, and it's, I don't see a lot of male dancers, especially in those mm -hmm. in the, those younger years. I don't see a lot of it. Yeah. Also, I just have to throw in what is in life? Why does jock equal cool? You know what I mean? Like you were like, you know, right. the jock like dance to. I'm just saying I'm just thinking of that. Like, I just think that's always historically like. The jocks and the cheerleaders are the cool, popular kids in high school. And if you're not one of them, then you're not cool. And I'm just like, but why is it like that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Everything revolves around sports. Mm. Goodness. That's and, true. And especially once I moved, when I moved to New England, for me, it was like in Colorado, dancing and being a boy was very cool. When I moved to New, Eng to New England, dancing and being a boy was not cool. Mm. So it was a very different experience. And um, it was... You know, we don't have to get into all of these things, but it was very difficult for me as a male dancer in New England growing up. It was a very, very different experience. And mm. in this, the school environment, not a very positive one for me when people yeah. found out I took mm. dance. Attention all dancers. Looking for some outside expertise to fine-tune your dance before hitting the competition stage this season? Then check out IDA's online judges critiques. Our seasoned judges will provide you with a video critique of your routine, just like you'd receive at competition. But with IDA's online judges critiques, we take it one step further with our post-critique additional feedback. Your judge will go through your routine again, pausing the video to give you even more detailed and personalized feedback. You can even request a judge that specializes in your style of dance. This game-changing service has helped countless dancers prepare for the competitive stage and is available year-round. With critiques starting at only $35, what are you waiting for? Click the link in our show notes or visit our website at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash online critiques to learn more and submit your dance today. Oh, that, that breaks my heart. And I think that is honestly one of the, that could be one of the reasons why a lot of boys who might love dance and might want to get into dance might not. Because they know that they it, they might not be accepted by everyone at their regular school that doesn't even understand dance. I mean, I obviously did not grow up uh, as a male dancer. I grew up as a female dancer, and I still feel like that no one understood what I did because right. the arts weren't really accepted in my school. It was, like you said, Sean, all about sports. 
if you weren't the star lacrosse player at my high school, then no one cared what you did and you were kind of a loser. And I'm like, but I love dance. I love arts and I'm really good at this. And everyone knew I was good at it, but they still were like, but what is that? What are you even doing? What are you, why are you spending every day (laughs) at dance class? Like, you're not going to do this for real. And I'm like, well, no, none of the lacrosse players did this for real, but they were popular in school. And, you know, I just don't think that there is enough emphasis on arts in general. Like we get a little taste of here's a painting class. Here's a music class. Mm -hmm. Here's a this. And it's just kind of almost very treated as electives like this. This couldn't be this isn't really serious. And all of us took it serious. And then we're we're not really popular or cool because of that. Like, uh uh-uh, we are living our dreams over Mm -hmm. here. We are the ones that are doing something that we love for a living, probably out of all the other popular kids. (laughs) This is like a tangent. But in fifth grade, I don't know if you guys had this, but like you graduated fifth grade in your yearbook, you know, you got to say what you wanted to be when you grew up. And mine was mm-hmm. dance teacher. And I still have that yearbook. And yeah, dance teacher was not my end all be all profession, but I have been a dance teacher. And I look down that list. I still know these people. I'm like, you didn't do that. You didn't do that. You didn't do that. But I did that. Like, yeah. come on. All of us did the thing we thought we were going to do, said we were going to do. And I think that really says yeah. something, especially for the boys in, in the arts world. Because if you knew, you knew. Mm-hmm. And you were going to yeah. do it. And it you didn't vacillate. And, you know, you can look back to that fifth grade yearbook and say, I did that. Yeah, I think to those of us, I did that. (laughs) Yeah. So those of us that have stuck with it, you know, it's so kind of cliche, but to say, you know, you were just born to do this, you know, Mm -hmm. there are just those people's, especially the creative types that are very special, you know, and you don't know that at the time and people treat you differently because they see you differently and they don't understand you. But, but it's a real passion that you don't know you have when you're that young person, but there's something about it that keeps you going and keeps you invested in it and keeps you learning. So, so we are the special, we are very cool. We are very cool people. Yes. Yes. You guys are. We are. We are very cool people. Listen, I'm, I'm, I've been, I also work at um, the high school for the performing and visual arts. We call it PVA here. And it is such a, it's one of my, it's the high school that I wanted to go to when I was in school. Mm. It's about 45 minutes to an hour away from my actual home. I grew up in a city called Beaumont and trying to drive here, my mother just was, it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And she didn't trust that I was going to stay with, you know, that friends or family that they would take care of me in that way so consistently. So I just wasn't able to come. And now being on faculty and watching, like they don't wrap your mind around this. And maybe you've, maybe you've experienced this, but I certainly have not. They don't have a cafeteria. Oh, Everything what? that they do, every like them eating, they can sit anywhere in the hallways. It's It's like, it's the things you see in movies. It's like the quiet. But they, they have these, these moments where I, I have these moments where I'm just walking out after my class and I see these kids that would not under the normal set of circumstances or what is shown in the movies be considered cool. Mm. But mm. that is what the entire school is, performing right. and visual arts. Mm. And they're like, sports teams where? Like, yeah, what yeah. are you talking about? We have the dance department. <laughs> We have the visual arts department. We have the uh, pianists. We have, we, you know, we're going to their concerts and we're cheering for them like they are the football player. Mm. When I, I just choreographed for their fall dance concert and the audience response, it was like a football game. Oh, wow. And I just was looking around like, y'all really <laughs> like the that much? Or are we just yeah. like, w- this, is a, <laughs> this is a theater. What's going yeah. on? And it was just so awesome. And it's, it's, it just tells me 
that this is exactly, there are spaces like this. Yeah. There are yeah. places like this. And we just need to kind of get that, that story out into the world more. Mm. Um, you know, all we have is fame and then right. and center stage maybe. Right. And then it's like, okay, those yeah. are our movies. Yeah. And like, like Leslie said, if you know, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. but I feel like more well, people need to know. Yeah. And we just had a performing arts high school episode where I think you're right to, to highlight those kind of environments where, yeah, the boys dancing is 1000% accepted. Like, give me all the boys at the performing arts high school. And so if there's any, you know, parents out there of boys who are like in that early stages of deciding, do I want to do this? Look into the performing arts high school, because I guarantee you, number one, they want boys, you're going to get in. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just put that out there right now. No, no boy is getting not accepted to a performing arts high school. (laughs) And two, they will be so accepted and so nurtured there in in a way that they're not going to get, I don't think, probably from any public school in in the dance world or, you know, anything else, like you said, visual arts or music or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Something I'm curious to learn is to know if you, either of you had any male teachers growing up or when was your first experience with a male teacher in your dance training? When I was dancing in Colorado Springs, I did not have a single male teacher. And then when we were moving to New England, my mom was a member of Dance Masters of America, and she was looking at studios in the area where we're going to be living to specifically see if there were any male ballet teachers. Good job, mom. And so the studio that I went to, because there was like, there was a a legit ballet school in my hometown that she considered. And she ultimately put me at this other studio where Tony Williams, who was a principal dancer for the Boston Ballet for a long time, was teaching. And so she specifically went there to, mm. to, to take me. And it was still that studio that had tap and ballet and jazz and all the other styles. But he was my ballet teacher at that studio for a few years before he left the area. Mm. And he was my only ballet, male ballet teacher, oh, teacher of any style of dance. Okay. Throughout all of junior high and high school, my wow. only teacher. And I wow. would, it wasn't until I started doing, I started competing when I was 11. And it wasn't probably until I was 13 that I started doing conventions and started doing the, the title pageants and competing for those titles and stuff. And it was in those years where I would go to conventions and I would go to, mm. to that world of competitive dance where I would take classes from other male teachers. Yeah. So then I took class from Scott Fowler and... All these other oh, yeah. all these other people in that world that were the, uh, was my real first experience, Michael Taylor and other people that just really exposed me to to that side of things and other teachers in my area too. It was like Regold and Rennie Gold, their studio in Massachusetts. They were big influences for me growing up too. And once I started to see other male dancers and other male teachers in my area as I would compete and travel, that's when I got more exposure. But in like my studio life, it was only Tony, the one teacher. Interesting. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have. Um, I'm, I, I echo that sentiment. I did not have a single male teacher growing up. I didn't understand that men could teach dance. Mm. It didn't really. Which is so. I mean, where's the irony in that? Because quite <laughs> frankly, when you step into the, the industry, every choreographer is a man, and every director mm-hmm. is a man, and it's mm-hmm. like, well, mm-hmm. but all the where, teachers. Where are, did they wait, come wait, now, from? Now hold on, just a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like somebody make that make sense. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did not, I did not have, didn't have a single one. And then when I went to college, I actually started at NYU before I, I transferred over to Fordham. And 
my first male teacher was Gus Solomons Jr. And he was just, I don't know if anyone has had the 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 experience of, uh, well, I mean, I can look around and know no one's had this specific experience, but an experience similar to that of a young black man from Texas, a small city in Texas, moving to the largest city in the world and having the first teacher on the docket be someone who looks like you for the first time ever. Wow. Um, it just, I mean, like, it was like, a cheat code and my whole mind just went, just unlocked. And it was like, anything you say to me, I will do. Anything you, you bring to me as, a, as a, someone who's done this and someone who is just so, I didn't have any idea how um, fabulous Gus Solomons Jr. was at the time. And of course, the older you get, the more you're like, wait, hold on. That was just, mm. that was the guy who I used to sit and have coffee with. And he <laughs> used to just tell me all these stories about Merce Cunningham and Martha Graham mm. and just all of these, these, and Paul Taylor, just these giants in the industry. And you were just sitting down, having coffee with me, inviting me to your home, showing me old pictures and going Aww. through archives. And wow. um, I even did a photo shoot with him for uh, Jordan Matter Dancers After Dark. We were literally standing and looking at each other, just butt naked, me and this old, <laughs> this older dancer with his cane. Aww. And we were naked in Union Square. Oh, wow. <laughs> Excuse me, in the Washington Square Park. For, for Jordan Matter. And I just, wow. I just remember thinking, God, I love you, Gus. Aww. What an incredible guy. Aww. And then when I transferred to um, Fordham and Ailey, I had you know, many male teachers. Uh, Tracy Inman, who's now one of the, the school co-directors. Milton Myers, who is just the Horton master teacher. Uh, Freddie Moore and Dudley Williams, uh, who also was the longest tenured member with the Ailey Company and also danced for Martha Graham way back before the Ailey Company even existed. Mm. So it's just, it's, it was just like opening my mind in ways that I didn't realize it needed to be opened mm. because I had only experienced female teachers and they provided what they could. Um, but there's something that you get from someone who has the same physiology as you, mm -hmm. who understands the way our bodies work a little bit differently, mm -hmm. who understands who can speak to you on a very direct level. My favorite thing that I've ever been told was uh, by Milton Myers when I had to partner uh, a young lady in ISBA, which is a piece that uh, Alvin Ailey did in the 80s. They were resetting it on us for junior, junior rep. And uh, he came into rehearsal one day and he said, you have to understand that no one's watching you, son. It's about her. <laughs> and I said, oh, but that, he said, no, 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 no. I know what you're about to say. And when you're partnering her, it's not about you. Mm. So get ugly low. Mm. Get just you do what you have to do to right. get her up in the air because no one's going to worry about you being like as low as you are. They're going to worry about her being as high as she is. Mm -hmm. And I remember really not liking that because I said, that's exactly <laughs> why I didn't go into the ballet world because I wanted to be the star. So <laughs> hold on. And I realized, I, I said, oh, this is everywhere. Okay, well, I guess that's what it is. But, you know, it, it, was, it was honest. And I know that a lot of, if I would have heard that coming from a female teacher, I probably would have thought there was a little bit of, mm, well, yeah. why would I work so hard to make you look so great? Why wouldn't I work as hard to make me right. look fantastic? But hearing it from him, I knew that this was, he was speaking from experience. And, mm. um, you know, I, I believed it immediately. Was that fair that I believed him immediately and not someone else? Probably not, but it's the way it worked. I mean, it says a lot. Yeah. It definitely says a lot about, you know, who influences you as, as a training dancer and a young mind 
and even what you know even on your end colin of seeing other representation like yourself you know you growing up with male dancers in colorado and then going to a, a whole new place that has none and that you you're just like am i ever gonna see another male dancer out here like you just want to feel like <laughs> mm-hmm. this is something that exists in the in the world and you're not the only right. one so to be exposed to conventions and workshops and things where you are able to see other males like yourself it's it's that that's what's going to keep you as a male dancer going because for uh, for the female dancers every every little kid starts dance every three-year-old mommy puts a tutu on and every girl has done a dance class at some point in life it is saturated with female dancers it is a very small percent of of male dancers in the industry so to have that representation for both of you i'm sure was hugely impactful in your your growing years and training years and professional years too yeah, and part Absolutely. of your part, part of your training, I think, is that exposure that's not in that room. It's it's seeing those other things. So it's going to see a ballet company perform, going to see that that modern company that's touring through, going to see that Broadway show that's on mm-hmm. tour that's coming through your city, going mm-hmm. to your community theater production, going to your other, you know, go, going to see other things instead of I feel like so many areas are just like yes. they're just they just stay in their little bubble and they don't know mm-hmm. anything outside of that and. And so that's why I'm so grateful to the experiences that I've had because I I learned so much and I got so much exposure from things that didn't even directly it come into contact with me. It was just me seeing them. But that took me going outside of my area and my studio. And part of that was my teachers doing that and my mom doing that and other people doing that for me. And unfortunately, not a lot of people have that support or have the that ability to to get out of that. So I feel like that's where some of those young dancers don't have that exposure. So they don't they don't know that they can do that. They don't right. see themselves anywhere, you know. So it's it's so that it's a challenge. That's so awesome for you, Colin. I'm just thinking. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking. Like I'm putting it into perspective of my experience to have that mother who knew who was your first dance teacher and really knew to to expand your horizons and yeah. bring you out and to to show you all of that. I mean, my mom she had no idea. My dance teachers in high school finally said, "You should go see the Ailey Company." Right. I was like, "Oh." They've been down the street every year for my entire career right. and no one thought <laughs> right. to, yeah. to show me this company full of black dancers. What? It's just, I yeah. mean, so yeah. it's just, it's must have been so awesome to have had that, that kind of built in um, mm. exposure through your mom yeah. and, and through your, your dance your background. Like, I just think that's so awesome. Yeah, no, I'm very fortunate and very thankful for, for all of that. And my mom danced with a, a local ballet company in, in San Jose when she was in college and uh, and so she, you know, had a, a little taste of her own professional dance career, but mostly was just educating. And uh, but she knew once I once she saw that it was something that I was really passionate about, and that ha- and that I had the potential to pursue that, she definitely helped steer that. And in the studio, especially, I really credit my studio in New Hampshire and those teachers there for exposing me as well. And but also too, they it was it was a small local studio in New Hampshire, so they. The, the women who ran that studio, who were my primary teachers growing up, they just grew up dancing and loved to dance and wanted to educate dancers and just spread that education. They never really, I don't think, ever set out to train professional dancers. I was the first mm. dancer from the studio to go on and pursue a professional career. Wow. wow. Um, and she's now wow. been operating for, she just had like her 30th anniversary or something like that. And since like my my generation of dancers was the first to start to go out to the professional world. So she's now had dancers that have done Vegas, done the cruise ship circuits, gone on to company dance work. 
and pursue those careers. And I think similarly for those students that have followed us, like they needed to see us go do that right. to say, oh, yeah. I could go do that. Oh, right. so it's, it's yes. you know, it, 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 there's, there's always somebody that has to be kind of the first in that area or the first for mm. this community to see that success or see that opportunity to say, oh, I could do that because I never really had that. And growing up, I always thought, oh, I'll be a ballet dancer because my mom does ballet and I'm going to be a ballet dancer. And I did go take uh, at a ballet school in Massachusetts on the weekends. And I did Nutcracker every year from like the second grade through my early 20s. And I did all their spring recitals. And I thought I was going to go to be ballet dancer. And this woman who ran that school, she used to dance for ABT. So she trained ballet dancers, but she didn't have any boys. So she was like, please stay, please, please, please stay. Yeah. And, uh, and <laughs> one summer, one summer, she forced me, she like, she forced me. She's like, you are auditioning for all these summer programs. So I auditioned for all these ballet summer programs. And I got into a number of them. And I told my mom, I was really scared to say this to my mom, though, because after I got accepted, I had this fear that if I went to this immersive ballet program, I would come out of there hating it because I really liked it. But I, I, but I was not sure if I really wanted to be a ballet dancer. I didn't really know what I wanted to do in the dance world. And I didn't really know mm-hmm. where I could go. And I told my mom, I don't think I want to go to these programs. And she said, fine, you won't go. You don't want to go, you don't go. And so I didn't go. The other ballet teacher was not happy with me. But, um, <laughs> and and it, was, it was around that time, I was like a sophomore in high school and I was starting to get more interested in theater. And I would go see the tours that would come through mm. and we would go to New York and see shows. And I started to then go see shows and started to have an idea of maybe that's something I could do. Mm. You know, I would go see, the national, I saw the National Tour of Cats like 12 times when it came through. <laughs> wow. The National Tour of Cats I saw when I was four years old. It's actually one of my first memories is seeing that 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 production. Wow. But it, it just took all these years of figuring out how seeing other people doing something that I realized at a certain point in high school, well, that's a job. I could actually right. do that. Right. How do I do that? And then I had to yes. figure that out. But Something I'm curious to to hear from you both in regards to training and maybe talking to some of the younger male dancers out there who maybe do have aspirations to be a professional and make a career out of this, or maybe even speaking to the dance teachers who are training a really talented male dancer and helpful tips for them. But what are some of the things based on your experiences as professionals that would be the best advice that you can give to young male dancers as to what they need to be learning how to do, certain things that might vary differently from maybe a female identifying dancer, you know, coming from the male perspective? It's a great question. It's a a big question. It is. (laughs) The one thing that I wish that I knew more about when I was younger was fitness. I would go to dance class from 4 to 9 p.m. Monday through Friday, and then I'd go take ballet from like 10 to 12 on Saturdays, and I just danced all the time. And I just thought, I'm in shape, I'm, I'm dancing all the time, blah, blah, blah. And my, dance, my teachers would talk about anatomy, and they would talk about placements and how to take care of our bodies and prevent injuries and all that stuff and your technique, all that stuff. But it wasn't until I started doing professional dance and actually doing many shows where I really physically had to partner, with, uh, part, like truly partner women. And I realized, oh, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> you know, I was like, I never had any real male instruction on how to partner. And those years that I had Tony as my ballet teacher, I was still sort of too young to really be doing any real legitimate partnering. Right. And then once I got old enough to do that, my, my female teachers would give us lifts to do, but they didn't know how I needed to do them. Yep. I just sort of figured it out by myself Mm -hmm. and similar to sean like i will never forget my my first lyrical duet we had this like 
corner to corner pass where it was like basically my she did like tombe pas de break glissade grand jeté and i lifted her and then she'd do like pas de shot and i would just lift her and travel and i will never forget there's this video of me doing it and she's in the air and i am on my tippy toes going thinking me being on my toes is going to get her higher and being realizing no it is not about that you know but i ultimately didn't have a whole lot of upper body upper body strength and i was not i'm just not a naturally strong fit muscular person and in my professional years i've had to do some shows my broadway debut come fly away was all partnering all partnering um, i've yeah. had to do many other shows with, with, with partnering yep. yeah. and so so and and it wasn't until those experiences where i realized oh i don't know how to really do this properly mm. and i realized that i was not really in shape in that phys- physically fit way mm. and i've spent many years thank you mark fisher fitness in new york city <laughs> I've spent, have many CrossFit coaches around the country. When I've toured, I got into CrossFit, and now I'm working with Joe Roscoe, built for the stage, working on my training on my body. Which I have when I was doing the world premiere of Heatwave, the Jack Cole project at the Queens Theater in in New York. Chet Walker was setting this show, and it was all the movement of Jack Cole. It's mm. it was so it was a great incredible show, to thought. work on his. Oh my gosh, it was so incredible <laughs> yeah. to work on this material and 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 see his influence. Mm. in the world of jazz dance, but it was the hardest dancing I've ever done in my life. And that's when I really, really, truly got into fitness. And I was training and lifting and really aggressively. And I've never danced better and I've never partnered better. Mm. And the ability to to understand like how to move weight through space, just doing mm. like a clean with a barbell and doing a push press with a barbell really helped me translate to how to manipulate another person. Mm. And it was really fascinating over the last 10, 15 years to see how that fitness training has really helped inform my dance training and my partnering specifically. And definitely as a male dancer, no matter if you're doing modern, if you're doing contemporary, if you're doing theater, there's a, there's a, t- a time where you're going to have to partner somebody. Yeah. And so I wish that at an earlier age, I had more knowledge and more training and just fitness and, and not just for the partnering sense, but also just how to take care of my body in that way as well. It was really, really helpful. And especially as I'm getting older, because I just uh, just turned 40. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so important, especially as like an older person, but somebody that's still trying to pursue a professional career, how to take care of my body. Mm-hmm. It's still a journey that I'm struggling with. You know, I have my good days, bad days, good years, bad years. But, um, but it's, that's the thing I wish I had more knowledge and experience at a younger age. Mm, love it. That's a long-winded way of that, sorry. <laughs> my answer is quite similar. I, I really do wish I knew more about anatomy and physiology going into things. I am, if you've ever seen me dance, obviously with Ailey, it was mostly barefoot dancing or, you know, when they would bring contemporary ballet, it would be in ballet slippers, but mostly barefoot or socks. And um, I am a naturally pronated dancer. Like my feet, I call them Flintstone feet. <laughs> Which is, you know, just my way of making fun of the thing that I didn't know to fix. And now once I finally understood, it was a little too late. Um, I did what I could with with my feet, mainly just it was more so aesthetically. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't the one with, you know, like a a golf club swinging at the end of his his leg. Because, you know, you want it to be, I want to have a career. I want to be in photos. I want to be somebody that is not known for bad feet, quote unquote. And so I really do wish that I had the knowledge and the understanding of my specific anatomy and how I could use it to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. A lot of things 
were forgiven by youth mm. because <laughs> the body bounce, you know, the body bounces back. And so the things that I didn't realize were actual injuries were injuries were in fact injuries. And I would, you know, I've, I've been thankful never to have been majorly injured in my, you know, now 15 or 16 year career, but it, it, it is, I'm, it is now taking its toll on me. Currently, I'm my, if you <laughs> had x-ray vision and looked down at this right ankle, I'm sure there's something going mm. on in there. And it's just it, now it's come from teaching because I was so used to staying up and, and being um, always being warm and always taking class at least five or six times a week. And then the pandemic hit and all of that came to a crashing halt. And I was off from Lion King for about 18 months, I believe, 18 or 19 months. And trying to step back into that because I felt like I never stopped because I was always teaching. But I, us teachers know who are, we're all still performers as well. We know that it's the being in performance shape and being very in different. teaching shape are two very different mm-hmm. things. Very different. And trying to step back into that was, was truly just, it was, it was, it was like plunging into very, very ice cold water. It was like taking that ice bath at the end of the night. It was not fun. <laughs> and, um, and I remember thinking after about three or four months, I don't really want to do this anymore. Uh, I don't want to work. My, my body doesn't, it doesn't seem to want to do it because I kept feeling those, those pains. And I said, I've never felt this before. But, you know, after two years of being off, your body will say, yeah, yeah, you should probably shouldn't have paused. <laughs> and so now you know, I'm dealing with little, just little hiccups and things because I'm not on stage constantly. I'm not preparing my body for performance constantly as, as I've gotten used to. And I'm also, as Colin was saying, I'm now getting used to my body as what it is now. I'm watching the change happen. And I unfortunately never really got into fitness. My, um, my exercise was dance class. It is dance class. It still is. I am. I cannot motivate myself to lift a weight or to do like to. I just. Oh, I just don't care. I want to care, but I don't. <laughs> I honestly all the time. <laughs> I really do want to care, and then I'll, I'll just look at myself. Sometimes I'll be in that because I. I usually am the last person in the studio uh, in the evening, and sometimes I'll just. I'll truly just take off my shirt and look in the mirror and just say. Okay, it's uh, <laughs> we're still we're still kind of doing it, you know. My husband still likes it, so it's all right. <laughs> but <laughs> we're all right. But but it's it's you know it's just it's that's just my funny way of trying to come to grips with the fact that my body is changing and my abilities are are changing. And um, as much as I say I want to get back in class, when I do, it, it's it's really I know I'm getting I'm long winded about this because uh, it's it's kind of emotional, unfortunately for me, but it, it takes me to a place of as much as I still want to do this. And as much as I know the heart is willing, the body isn't quite as able anymore. And that's something mm-hmm. that I'm slowly coming to, to grips with as, um, as you know, the years creep by. And, um, and now I'm watching and sending out students to do the thing that I love to do so much and that I still want to do, but I can't do it at that level anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's a bittersweet yeah. symphony going on in my, in my mind and my heart at all times. But to go back to the original question, to, to sum it up, I wish I knew more about the anatomy, my specific anatomy, so that I could have had, I could have prolonged yeah. uh, the, the longevity of my career yeah. a bit more. I think we all, total sense. all wish we, ha- we knew that. We talk about it often and we've done injury episodes and 
and we all of us leslie and i both when we talk about different topics we just say like oh it's just not how it used to be our bodies like you know we have gain a new injury every time and oh i can't do this anymore and i can't do this Mm -hmm. back bend anymore whatever it is and it's just like i think it is important for us to to hear for people to hear that but also for us to talk about it because Right. I remember my teachers would always say, like, your body's not going to be that flexible forever. Like, you, you think you're invincible right now at, at 16 years yeah. old, but it's not going to be that way when you're mine. I say that three times a week. <laughs> right? Well, and like, Sean, I mean, you just really hit my heart when you said, you know, as much as your heart wants it, your body remembers it. If you, Like, I haven't been to class and I couldn't tell you how long because I've had so many injuries. And what's sad is like, I watch a show and I'm still watching. Oh, that's my track. I could do mm-hmm. that track. That's my track. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you, you, what are you talking about? Yep. You can't yep. bop on yep. past oh, 90 me. degrees. <laughs> like, what are you, literally, what are you talking about? But like, because I, rem- my body remembers, I know how to do that. But then you would try to do it and your body's like, oh, girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, not anymore. And that's, yeah, that is the, the hard, cause. like, heartbreaking part is that, like, if I had the willpower and the, and the actual, energy to get back into class the way I used to, I could probably still do that with some modifications, yeah. maybe. But like, you know, aging is crazy for, for men and women. And it's yeah, I the youth, listen up, like listen. your elders are here to tell you. Listen, y'all. <laughs> and yes, enjoy I, that I mean, youth while you have it. Take care of your body. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna say I listened, but you should. Right. You should <laughs> no more knee slams, please. I, I certainly didn't. <laughs> Please no. Oh, no, 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 stop it. That's a whole other episode. It is. Do y'all that's, have That's an entire other episode. Under the co-artistic direction of Francisco Gella and Usha Marie Zorzano, Zeitgeist Dance Theater is a summer season professional dance company based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. From the German word Zeit meaning time and Geist meaning spirit, known as the spirit of the times. Zeitgeist Dance Theater reflects the now, the essence, and spirit of the age in which we presently live. Zeitgeist Dance Theater discusses topics that are difficult as if topics are not discussed, change will not come. A core company value is understanding what is going on in the daily atmosphere and having a response for the future. The company also offers a trainee experience, providing emerging professional artists from ages 17 to 24 with a taste of professional company life. The company's trainees are selected annually through an audition process to participate in a three-week integrated company experience during the summer, culminating in a performance at the New Century Dance Project Festival. Application submissions for the trainee experience open on December 1st, 2024. Learn more about Zeitgeist Dance Theater and their trainee experience by visiting their website at zeitgeistdancetheater.org. Do y'all have a few more minutes? I have one more. I have one more like question that I think is important for us to address because you're the men. We are not the men, Courtney and I. We're not the men. Put on your male dance teacher hat. Speak to the children, the male children and the parents of male children who dance about the importance of the dance belt. <laughs> because it's important. <laughs> and I, I we I can talk about it all I want Courtney to talk about it, but like it needs to come from the male dance teacher, please. <laughs> I mean, we started off the conversation with Sean talking about dress code. So we let's end it with the dress code. <laughs> let let me tell you in a very succinct way. Um, it took the same way it took me till I was seventeen to get in ballet class. It took me until about eighteen to put on a dance belt, and here's why: I did not understand what what I called um, the crotch pockets. 
I didn't understand them. <laughs> I said, well, why does that need to be? Because then what, what, what it was in my mind was it brings attention directly to the place that I am. I, I'm the only one in the room that has this mm. anatomy. I'm the only one in the room that looks the way I look. I don't need any extra eyes on me. Mm. In that way, I want I want you to tell me how great I am as a dancer. I don't want you to be looking at me, you know, like, oh, what's that thing? What's that pouch? What's that bulge? Whatever. And so I was very, very like more, probably more than normal, uncomfortable about putting on a dance belt. Mm. It had nothing to do with the thong. It had everything to do with I didn't want extra attention on me. Mm. And what it took for me was knowing that I needed to audition. I went to my first college audition in person at um, the Dallas Booker T. Washington mm. uh, High School for the, the Performing Visual Arts. God, that's a long title. <laughs> and I looked around the room. I had brought the dance belt because I knew I had to have it. I, I, but I waited till the absolute last minute. And there were other gentlemen that were auditioning and they, it had, they had no concern about it. Mm. And so I said, okay, if they're not concerned, I'm not concerned. So I put it on. It was perfectly comfortable. I had no issues. But I did, I remember um, asking, speaking of Rhea and Rennie Gold, I remember asking Kyle Robinson, who was mm. our Mr. Dance of America of mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. 2000, whatever it was. And also Teddy Florence. And, and I remember uh-huh. asking them in the dressing room, I had never seen a dance brief. And I said, mm. what's that? What, <laughs> what's that? I said, that looks comfortable. What is that? And they said, oh, yeah, this is, this is all I wear. Like, there's no need to wear the thong back if it's not necessary. You know, this provides... I'm sure in very high school terms, I'm, I'm making them sound a lot more professional than we probably <laughs> were talking at the time. But this provides the same level of comfort and protection while not having to, you can wear it all day if you needed to. And from that day on, I said, oh, life changed. Unless I'm wearing tights, I will be in a dance brief. It, brief is, it is. It, it, it changed the game for me as a student. And then I realized, again, I went looking around and I said, oh, everyone's in this thong back. I don't want to be the one in like a granny panty. So then I went back to the thong back. And now you can't get me out of them. I got one on right now because I got to teach after this. So I went ahead and put it on. It's, listen, you get the right one. You find the right fit. Wear moi is my brand. Yes, Tiny, they have nice um, waistband, nice, yep. stretchy, soft. elastic, doesn't, yep. soft, uh, comfortable. I mean, it. I'm totally on board with the dance belt and I, I preach it to my young gentlemen um, that, that I have because, you know, they're all very similar. Oh, I don't want people watching. Baby, pull up those tights. You have saggy crotch. I know you don't. I know why you're doing it. I know why you're doing it. Come on into Come on. Come on into my office. Leave the door open. <laughs> right. Come on into my office because we're going to talk about something personal and private, but we're going to talk about it at a hushed, in a hushed voice because I want to make sure that you're comfortable and that you know that I also went through the exact same thing mm. and that I'm not telling you anything. I would not steer you wrong. I want you to be comfortable above all, but I want you to be safe. Mm-hmm. And we have to protect the anatomy more than anything. I love it. That would be my spiel. I love it. Excellent. Such a good one. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Round of applause from Colin. <laughs> Round of applause for Sean. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had a similar experience, but, and I agree at the end of the day, ultimately it's about your, your comfort and your protection. And for me, when I moved to the studio in New Hampshire, because before that, the, in Colorado, it was like, I was just wearing my Hanes whatever under my sweatpants. Like, there was no dress code. Even like my ballet classes, was like I was in like a bike short, but I still had like just briefs on or whatever it was. And uh, in, in New Hampshire, it was, no, no, this ballet teacher said, no, you're wearing a dance belt and this is what it is. 
and I got the Capizio thong, you know, and I the one. I the, the one that we had back then. The waistband's so thick, y'all. Why Went is it to, so thick? I have no idea. I used to fold it I down. Love handles. <laughs> fold my love handles. You're, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it was like, but 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 when I was doing the the Nutcracker every year, I was like, I was playing the Nutcracker. Then I moved up to the the Snow King. Then I was playing the Sugar Plum Cavalier. And just like, what else are you going to wear under those tights? Like how that evolved. But it's just what you got to do. So. I just accepted it. And I said, okay, I want to do this. I want to perform in this piece and I want to be in this class. This is just kind of what it is. And so I got used to just wearing it because I had no choice. And then it wasn't until I was doing a professional show years, years, years later, where I was asked by the wardrobe supervisor, what do you want to wear? And I said, I have an option. <laughs> I had no idea there were options. Right. So similar to Sean, I was like, <laughs> what? And, and they were like, well, we can give you a a full seat dance belt is what they called it. And I said, okay. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I wear now. That's what I always ask for is a Capizio full seat dance belt. And it's just basically, you know, brief. It's super comfortable, especially like these days where I'm in rehearsal all afternoon and tech for 12 hours and all that stuff in my costumes. It's something that I feel very comfortable in. And I haven't had to wear white tights in a very, very long time. So I hope that I never have to put on white tights again so i don't have to go back (laughs) bravo but it's definitely i feel like a rite of passage and uh and uh and it's okay Mm -hmm. but just know there are options and there are different companies and it takes a little bit of experimentation same thing with any any type of clothing you can try it on see if it fits same thing with point shoes you know it's like you have to try you know whatever is gonna feel Mm -hmm. most comfortable to you and fit and suit you best so just know that there are options for dance posts there is not a one-size-fits-all only this one and uh and yeah, that's <laughs> great. I, I mean, we had a request what, and I wanted to fulfill the yes. request. <laughs> I would, I would tell the parents and honestly, I would tell the, the, it was one of the things I tell my, my, my gentleman as well. I said, I don't know if you're as vain as I was and slash still am, but go, go ahead and pull up, pull them up, pull them up. Pull I them know up. it's going to pull them up, get those, put the dance belt on and pull those tights up. We should be able to see the lines. You know what I mean? No. The saggy crotch is well, not. Well, nobody needs baggy no, no. tights. Nobody needs nobody no. needs Girls baggy or boys. tights, and <laughs> you'd be surprised at how many people still, still will do exactly what I did, which is wear them as low as possible, so that you're not being seen in that way. It's like my friend, my friend, show the lines. Show this is this is an aesthetic based <laughs> art form. It's a visual art form. We need to see the lines. Why do all of that work when we're not going to see it? Put on the dance belt, hike up the tights. If you need to wear a basketball short over top of it, you know, to go ahead and get comfortable just having them on, go ahead. But when we're on stage and when we're in class, this, you know, it is what it is. Very much like college. This is what it is. This is and what the saggy tights, all mm-hmm. it does is just bring more attention to it. You know, it's all, all you're doing. It's all you're doing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Ex- yeah. Because now I'm looking like, right. is the leg up or... Mm, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. going to throw it out there. So now there. we've got different. I, you know, as Leslie said, I, oh, Leslie and I are not men we do not have to wear dance belts obviously but i will say as a judge watching a competition there are many times where i am wishing a dancer had a dance belt on it is no different than the whole talk that we talk about with female identifying dancers not wearing tights on stage and seeing way too much that we shouldn't be seeing the same thing applies with male identifying dancers making sure that you are wearing the proper Mm -hmm. undergarments to support yourself for safety and Mm -hmm. visually 
on stage because you're under stage lights. And sometimes I've seen a lot of things that I do not want to be seeing. And I don't know how to nicely say, please put a dance belt on if I am not on a teacher mic. I'm telling you. It is important. I think under any costume, any costume, if you are on stage, you better have that thing on. Yes, please. (laughs) Yes, please. And thank you. Please and thank you. Y'all, this yeah. is... Your judges and your audience. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And the live stream and the photographer and the video that you're oh, going to look back at everybody. <laughs> well, and I mean, let's let's face it, Sean, like you said, this is an aesthetic art form. If it didn't matter what you looked like, you know, like, yeah, to, to an extent, we can all control so many things. We talk about this in our performance episodes all the time. Like, you know, we can't control. So we cannot control the floor. I can't control the lighting. I can't control whether the music stops. But like, I can look my best and present myself in the best way possible. And one of those items to help you do that is a dance belt. <laughs> is the dance belt. Good old dance belt, the, the foundational item, the, as a matter of fact. The humble <laughs> dance belt. Yes, indeed. Yeah, this was Love a it. fabulous chat. And I am so grateful to have you both here and sh- and sharing your love from what you've learned through the years and reminiscing so much. I feel like we just chatted a lot about the the early days of dance for you both. And I, I really love hearing that journey. And um, you shared such great advice to all of our male dancers out there in the dance world, maybe for also studios who might not have male teachers or studios that are navigating what it's like to have a male dancer in their studio. It's it's really awesome what you shared. So hopefully um, to all of our, our boy and male dancers, identifying dancers out there in the dance world, hope you enjoyed this chat with our special guests, Colin and Sean. Thank you for spending your afternoon over here recording with us. And how all of our guests lead us out on making the impact is with one final thought on the topic. And you can talk to whoever you'd like. You can talk to young, aspiring male dancers who want to be like you one day and be a professional. You can talk to the studios or the teachers. You can talk to male educators out there. You can talk to anyone and everyone when it comes to boys in dance. I would talk to the... (laughs) The young dancers uh, in the studio, male dancers and female dancers are like every single dancer, I would say, and this is a bit of personal, it's a personal situation, but it is it is a piece of advice. If you are fortunate to have a diverse teaching staff, make sure that you provide the same level of respect and value to every single member of the faculty, every single technique, not just the ones you like not just the ones you enjoy more than others, not just the ones that brings you the most joy. Dance in general is the thing that should bring you that joy. And if you love it, we have to continue to make sure that we are providing a safe and respectful atmosphere for every single teacher, faculty member, choreographer, director, um, the same way that you expect them to do it for you as a dancer. And what I have experienced in my my uh, time as an educator is that because I come in pretty jovial and very down to earth and relaxed, I notice that the, the, the opportunity to be taken advantage of is very present. Mm. And I allow it to an extent, but then most of my students know that I will also come in hot like that because I don't accept being treated any differently than your, your female ballet teacher. Just because I am a male modern teacher or a male contemporary teacher or jazz teacher or what have you does not mean that I will be treated any differently than, you know, Madam Ballet Mistress, um, because it is the same level of respect here and there. And so that's what I would leave 
with the, the younger generation, a bit of advice is to make sure that we are providing the same level of respect, if, especially if you are fortunate enough to have a diverse uh, faculty and staff working with you. That's so important. I think the concept of respect is lost these days. And I think this is advice for the, the dancers, as Sean just stated, but also really for the teachers to cultivate an environment where we can support and promote creativity and we can support and cr- promote our passion for dance, but also still have respect for the art forms, for the teachers, for your various dancers as well in those rooms. Because I've gone into different studio settings as a teacher where I'm the guest teacher and the lack of respect that I'm shown Mm. from the staff and or from the students is sometimes wild. Mm. And, And I grew up in an environment where it was, there was such a structure to the studio and, but there was still support and love and passion within all of that. And I was back home teaching at my studio this summer and one of the other guest teachers came into the, the break room between classes and she said to my dance teachers, I love it here <laughs> because the kids were respectful, they were attentive, they were really trying hard. And I feel like when, when you promote an environment where we're going to work hard, we're going to have fun, but we're going to work hard. And when you work hard, you're going to succeed. And when you succeed, that makes you want to work harder. And when you see your friends succeed, you want to work harder. And I think we need to just the teachers out there, my advice for all the teachers is to try to really focus in on promoting that Mm. across the board. Because I feel like I've seen so many dancers, young dancers who are so fixated on themselves. Mm -hmm. And to also just realize to the young dancers out there that if you want to go out and be a professional dancer, sure, you might aspire to be that soloist in the ballet company or that principal dancer or that star of this Broadway show. But you're not just going to go straight there. You have to work your way to get there. And it's a journey and you're going to have to work with other people. And so always be, be mindful of respecting those around you, learning from those around you as well, because so much of your growth can come from watching somebody else in the room and learning from them and yes. trying, to set a, trying to set a good example from the teachers down so that those students have a good example to learn from so that they can go out and they can be the example setters for those coming up underneath them. I think that's so important. And I feel like that is getting lost these days. So let's try to hold on to that. We hope you enjoyed our first episode of 2024, all about boys in dance. Shout out to our special guests, Colin and Sean for joining us on this chat. Don't forget to follow them on Instagram. You can find Sean at Hooked on Sean and Colin at CV Coasters. Don't forget to follow Making the Impact on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you want more exclusive episodes, support our podcast by joining our Platinum Premium membership for only $5 a month. Subscribers receive free Making the Impact stickers, shoutouts live on the air, ad-free listening, and exclusive access to our Q&A episodes for members only. Join now at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash platinum premium or click the link in our show notes. Be sure to check out IDA affiliated competition, Dive Dance Competition. Dive produces top quality events for all levels of performers with brand new skill-based platforms. Dive's regional dance competitions are held in North and South Carolina and offer an inspirational and positive atmosphere for dancers to grow and express themselves. The Dive Vision challenges all dancers to be the best competitor, performer, student, and artist they can be. 
All of their events are fully staffed with panels of Impact Dance Adjudicator judges. All soloists are automatically entered into the title competition at no additional charge. One studio will be awarded the Studio of the Year at the conclusion of each regional season, and they also hold an ambassador search event each summer that offers exciting dance networking opportunities. To learn more about their upcoming events and view their tour dates, check them out online at divedance.com and follow them on Instagram at divedancecomp. The second half of Season 5 of Making the Impact is coming your way with episodes on A Day in the Life of a Dance Competition, our next Studio Spotlight episode, and a crash course on award ceremonies. Wishing you a wonderful 2024. We'll see you next week. Until then, keep dancing!